today is May 2nd, 2019, otherwise known as, actually, you know what? It's a bad day for holidays, so I'm going to go with a month. May is the month of hamburgers, apparently, which is my favorite food. So you got to do like a tasty burger. I used to get a little bit perturbed when I was in, I don't know, first grade or so. And the class would vote on what's your favorite food and pizza would always win. I was like, cheeseburgers are better than pizza. Wow. Hot take. Hot take. I think the one pizza or I think the one thing pizza has going for it, though, is it's pretty much universal. You can get vegan pizza. You can get meat lovers. You can get all veggie pizza with hamburgers. You're stuck. It's it's the the base of what it is kind of limits it. Here, here's here's what I argue for in favor of the cheeseburger is that I, I could eat cheeseburgers four times a week. I could not eat pizza four times a week. Wow, I could easily eat pizza that much. What about you, Ben? When I was in college, there was a food truck not far from my house, which was amazing. And my go-to order was a pizza burger sub. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Best of both worlds. A toasted French roll, which was sort of gave it like that Stover's French bread pizza kind of feel. But they would put actual hamburger patties on it and then all the sloppy melted pizza toppings pepperoni sauce and melted cheese it was disgusting and awesome so was it more of a pizza or more of a cheeseburger it was a, a sub it was a pizza was burger sub like when i first saw it and i was talking <laughs> to my buddy i'm like i'm gonna order this but do you think they used pizza as actual slices because they sold pizza at this place too. Okay. I'm like, do you think they actually use slices of pizza as the bread? Now or is this just like a recreated pizza within a, a submarine sandwich? And it ended up to be the latter. Exactly. And wow. Quite good. Pepperoni. Well. Pepperoni is good on – pepperoni doesn't make enough appearances outside of pizza. Yeah, it's pretty much only on pizza. Like we need really spicy salami and more things. Well, you've got a pretty hot take because I just saw a TV commercial for pepperoni. I don't know if it was for a particular pepperoni brand or the, <laughs> the pepperoni, pepperoni association. <laughs> right, like how cotton like kind of does that as well. <laughs> But they were putting pepperoni on nachos, and the whole thing was like, be creative with pepperonis. But I think that's asking way too much of the consumer to say, here's an ingredient, yeah. figure it out. You got to let them know. No, Paid this this big pepperoni. This right. sounds like a good school. potential sponsor for Make a Ranch. I mean, <laughs> we have our limitations, but getting creative with pepperoni is not one of them. We- no, absolutely not. So, listen up, pepperoni producers of America. We got you. Mike's going to make some of his famous pepperoni brownies. Holler at your boy, Mike, and uh, he'll produce some pepperoni corn dogs. Mm. Listen, I'm, you know I'm starting with a P, P, B, and J. Pepperoni, peanut butter, and jelly. What about the salsa? Hot start. You get that salsa in there, right? You know what? It might make an appearance, spice. but I've got to, right. It may make an appearance, but I've got to stick to the basics to start. I think if you did the pepperoni wrapped corn dog, that would that yeah. would be a hit. I think especially banger. if you were able to, especially if you are able to double fry it. So you double fry it like a normal corn dog, wrap it with pepperoni, and then do that double dip. You know what I'm saying? Those must yeah. be big pepperonis if you can wrap in it. I'm picking. Yeah, I, I picture like smaller deli. pepperonis. I'm thinking what you would get at a deli. Gotcha. Proper, proper, proper four inch peps. <laughs> a nice radius on this pepperoni. That's All right. right. Well, <laughs> that's an pepperoni talk. 
before we go any further, because this podcast is already going off into left field, I've got a great announcement. Okay. Certified banger stickers are in, and they look hey. amazing. Guess how many of them we've got, people? 12,000. Chris, what's your... No. Ben, what's your guess? 500. No, we have 100. Mm. Why did I do 100? It's because the only way to get these stickers is to give this podcast a review on the iTunes podcast app. It's really easy to do. You just go into the same app that you listen to the show in. You search us. You find us. You review it. That's the easy part. Then... You just take a quick screenshot on your phone and you email modernmakerpodcast at gmail.com. You attach that photo, give me your shipping address, and I will send the sticker. It's that easy. I'm not sending reply emails. If you do it incorrectly, I'm I've got zero customer service here, is what (laughs) I'm trying to say. Like if you do it if you do it correctly and you're one of the first hundred, you're getting a sticker. If you do it incorrectly and you're one of the first hundred, you don't get a sticker. And if you're not one of the first hundred, I would have to regretfully inform you that you will also not get a sticker. But but if you can if you can follow the directions proper, which will be in the show notes, I guarantee I will get a sticker to you and you're going to love it. We're going to yeah. post pictures on our Instagram, so check the Instagram story out. Now, is this US only, Mike, or is this open to the world? I'm sending this worldwide, baby. Oh man. I know I know the postage is about twice as much, but I don't care. I'm here for the people. I love our listeners, and this is how I show it. You're a hard ass about following instructions. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's not that I'm a hard ass, but I'm doing something going back and forth. Exactly. I'm just you know I can I can knock this right. I can knock all of this out kind of at once. But if I've got to go emailing back and forth, it's going to turn it into a real headache. So I'm trying to make this as as mutually beneficial as possible. We get some good podcast reviews, which lets the podcast app know that we're a good show and that it should suggest us to people who like similar content. That's normally what I say at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, but we also get to give some of our fans some killer stickers. Yeah, it lets, so It lets the podcast app know and it lets the other people know that this podcast is certified banger. Exactly. So for your ears. Um, I'm not going to go through the directions again, but just go into the show notes. I will have step one through five, however many <laughs> steps it is, lined out very clearly to hopefully make it just completely foolproof. So thank you, guys. We appreciate all the support. And if these go really fast, we'll probably end up doing it again. So that's, right. that's about all we have to say about the stickers. Yeah. What Hot announcement right off on the top. Let's start, with, let's start with Ben. What's he working on? I am editing. Well, I just published the video for last week. For another sofa, I'm knocking yeah, out all like the it. sofas. That was and a, it's a still... long build video for you. It was epic. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit longer because I showed it in phases. It involved sewing the cushions. So Jesse makes a cameo to come in and showed a really easy way that if you have a sewing machine and but aren't really used to sewing things, she shows a pretty easy way to use these little hooks that you can add to make uh, cushion covers. And then I showed an option for using pre-made hairpin legs, which requires no welding. And then I showed how to weld up your own. Now, are those hooks bra hooks? Is that the same same thing that are on bras? Because it looks like it. They were similar. We're we're just going to let Mike's question sit there for a minute. (laughs) That's the answer is yes. I can never get these seat cushions off. Uh, They're a little bit more three-dimensional than that. They're not quite as flat, but they're very similar Uh, in that they are both like bent wire hooks. Um, 
No, I respected the idea because my thought process was if it's strong enough to hold some boobies in, then it's got to be strong enough for people to sit on. That's right. The age old wisdom. <laughs> strong enough for boobs, strong enough for sitting. Right? That's right. Uh, right. Then go ahead and continue on with that. No, I'm just letting you flounder. Um, oh, no, I'm waiting for your response. I was leaving that open for you. I'm not floundering. <laughs> So, uh, so no, I like the hooks. It seemed like a really kind of simple way of doing things without introducing an overly complicated new technique. That's like a good transition technique. Right. So been, I think I'm going to still do a couple more sofas. Like the, the way – so I'm kind of back in like full homemade modern mode where I'm going to be producing three videos a month and – Getting back into things, seeing the numbers go back up on that channel, and it's nice to sort of get that that channel fully revived after paying so much attention to the the tiny house stuff. So I think what I'm going to do is batch out a bunch of things that I'm interested in. So right now I'm interested in a sofa. I'm going to create a bunch of designs around that, showing different ways, indoor, outdoors. On the In the future, I really want to tackle not so much desks, because I think a desk isn't that interesting by itself, but workspace organization. I I have this thing on Sunday nights where I try to reorganize my my sort of workspace where I edit, send emails, and all those kind of things. Podcast and every was, Sunday night, it's it gets pretty sloppy, and it's like something I can do while I'm watching Game of Thrones or or whatever else. It, it's it's sort of a passive task. It's not something gotcha. that I requires my my full attention so the one of the next topics i'm going to tackle is a whole bunch of workspace organization desks and kind of built-in stuff like that i'd probably go a little bit more extreme with those but this sort of like medium project that uh, i'm just finishing up right now is i made a weed whacker (laughs) i saw that (laughs) yeah i made a weed whacker out of a golf club out of a driver and a circular saw blade it was a pretty big one i think it was one of the ones that came with like the rigid table saw so it's like a 10 inch blade Mm -hmm. and it works really well it's i i think i could i almost want to get a powered weed whacker from like home depot or something and i bet you i could beat it in like a five minute who can cut down more weeds (laughs) ben's gonna be out perspectives next year on the other side of the booth He's going to have his own booth yeah. with, the, with the driver weed whacker. Yeah, yeah, over the course of an half an hour, it would lose horribly <laughs> because you would get tired of just like swinging. But I made it like a double-sided axe so you can cut on the back, the back stroke too. Oh, nice. So I – and it was actually timely too because we had record rains for this winter – and early this spring out here in Joshua Tree. So everything had grown up and now it's already it's already dry now. And that's yeah. that's a fire hazard here in California. So gotta gotta keep those down. And I didn't want to go get a whole, you know, mechanical weed whacker for our, our rental house. It's, it seems like a bit much. It's not needed at the container house the way we landscaped it. So yeah, I made this. It was super easy. I never cut inside of a of a golf club before. And a, this driver was like, like some sort of titanium alloy stainless mix. It was really hard to drill through. But inside, it was just like this like this shell of really hard metal and then all full of foam. So that part was kind of fun. And I got some – I don't have like a high-speed camera. Like I have the GoPro 7, which can shoot at 240 frames per second. 
so I got some good slow motion footage of me cutting a pineapple in half (laughs) (laughs) and a few other clips like that. But it kind of makes me want to get like a really good slow motion camera. I'm with it. And it's kind of coincidental. And I'm starting to think that maybe our devices are listening to us a little more than we may know, because we've talked about your driver scythe idea in the past a little bit. And I got suggested a YouTube video this week, and it's it's titled Autumn Mowing Lawns and Meadows with a Scythe. 4.6 million views posted a year ago. And it's a guy just trimming his lawn with a scythe by hand. Like a full-on Grim Reaper kind of scythe? Yeah. Like he's, if he had a black robe on, he would be indistinguishable. But unfortunately, he has a cowboy hat and Wranglers. So, you know, we'll we'll leave that for what it is. But 4.6 million views, Ben. So once you get this thing made, we need a large amount of area to be chopped down so you can make your own video on that. Weed Whacker, this is going to be a tangent, but it seems like it's one of those things that got its name. Like, Whack would not be the first thing that you come up with, but they ju- they were clearly just going for alliteration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Think of what if oh, yeah. every tool named itself like that? <laughs> yeah, I think the more generic okay. name is like Garden Trimmer. I think actually Weed Whacker might be a brand name. Oh, really? It's the Kleenex of... Well, I think with I think trimmer. these days, I think String Trimmer is the way they do it with... Obviously, a string trimmer, but a scythe is something completely different. Yeah, right. That's so a weapon, sir. The yeah, that's a blade bladed trimmer. I, it started off as a really silly idea, but I was looking at a golf club, and I was like, "Huh." And I picked up this golf club for a dollar at a garage uh, sale, and I don't play golf, but I like to hit things. <laughs> and so Mike and I have like just knocked around chunks of two <laughs> by four in the yard. I don't know why. Pretty fun. So, but I was looking at it and I was like, huh, like a lot of engineering, even to, for a cheap golf club, a lot of engineering goes into it. It has like a graphite or carbon fiber shaft, this like advanced alloy for a head. It's incredibly lightweight, but really strong and flexible. Yeah. Like there's no way I could make a handle that technical and that lightweight, but that strong that results in something being just parallel to the ground, which is what yeah. the head of the, the the driver is. And, you know, I when I have played golf, I whiff a fair <laughs> fair amount. Like, oh, I'm either digging <laughs> into the ground or like uh, just trimming the grass. So and then circular saw blades are a consumable. We don't no one I know really resharpen circular saw blades, although that probably would be a a good thing to do. And it's pretty good steel. It's not the best. It's kind of was a cool project because it it works it's totally functional i will use it as my my weed whacker that i never have to get line for i never have to to recharge and it cost me the dollar for that the only tools i needed to make it was an angle grinder and which is again this is just confirming that deserted island zombie apocalypse the one tool you want is an angle grinder i agree yeah And I can't think of many things in the world that depreciate as quickly as golf clubs. Yeah. Have you all seen how quickly, because people come out, every brand comes out with a new line of clubs every year. And so the year before those models immediately become 60% cheaper. And then that just continues to happen until they become a dollar at like a garage sale. But there's not many things that depreciate that fast. I played one year of golf in high school and that's what I did was I just got some some pings from the previous year and they were great 
The the other thing like that that I've always thought would be a good recycled project, but for more like the architectural or building scale, would be old skis. Old Ooh. skis are pretty worthless, but they're really strong and flexible. Like I feel like you could make a really cool like yurt or some types of like tent type structure where you need something to be where you need the the structural part of it to be flexible but really strong. And I think like. You could pick up a whole bunch of old skis off of Craigslist for really cheap and uh, make something pretty cool out of them. But I like no, that a lot. It was a it was a fun little project. Yeah, I, I finished it, but now I'm that kind of like tricking it out. So I'm actually doing like a nice paint job. I'm going to do a much better job sharpening the blade parts of it. And I think the only real downside is that it's probably really dangerous, but I don't really see how you could hit yourself with the head of a golf club. Don't put it past people, man. They'll figure it out. Mike will find a way when you guys are making a video. I was about to say, well, let's start with you've got a right-handed club and a left-handed mic. Ah. So that already that already puts us at a disadvantage. Now, real quick, I I feel like you just we just glossed over something real quick. You you said that the uh, angle grinder is the go-to tool for that whole desert island scenario, and I just want to throw out. I I disagree. I would say the number one tool you're going to want. You're probably right. No, it's, it, here it's it's so incredible. Like I, yeah, I, I put my I put my lean to together with yeah. floating tenons. I, I yeah. cut all the the teeth off of it, sharpened the blade, and uh, yeah, it, angle grinders angle grinders thing to go. Oh, other guy. news, I got a new truck. Oh yeah, whoa, that is true. I'm gonna give you big props on the truck purchase. I'm I'm glad you got the crew cab or the extended cab, whichever one it is. Way beefier. You got a you got a good looking truck, my guy. So I it's for a project. I'm going to be doing a series on modifying a truck to make it into the ultimate maker truck, which is a series that I'm really excited about. It's something I can uh, one. It'll be something that I use every day. But two, it's a it's an area of endeavor that I can commit to where I know I'll learn a lot of new stuff. I am not what it is. Right. So I got a brand new 2019 Tacoma, uh, Toyota Tacoma. I paid for it, but I have some sponsors lined up. So I'm going to be working with this company called Decked, which makes these drawers. So the way I look at a truck, and I think you guys are similar, is got to carry full sheets of plywood. <laughs> yep. And then That's pretty much number one. And then on top of that for me is like, I want to use it as I want to do more construction pro- projects. So it'll have to serve for the kind of DIY maker stuff, which is about making trips to Home Depot, getting plywood and things like that. But then two, it has to be my sort of headquarters for future construction level projects where it's my mobile office and all those things. And so I wanted to hold all my contractor tools, all my my drills, my circular saws, stuff like that, and also be a charging station for all those things. Now that most contractor tools are battery, uh, you need a lot of mobile charging. If you have mobile charging, you don't really need a generator unless it's for like welding or something that that requires a lot of amps. So I'm actually going to build solar panels into the roof of the truck and have that be powering a pretty good size goal zero battery bank. And it'll take a lot of time to recharge that battery bank. But once that battery bank is full, it could charge, you know, we we charged hundreds of our Ryobi and rigid batteries on a single full charge of the, the Goal Zero. So awesome. that'll be a lot of fun. And most importantly, I can learn about an area that I don't know much about, which is truck mods. In general, working with cars and mechanical things isn't my isn't my you know my strength. So I'm excited to to dive in and learn all that kind of stuff. 
Very cool. Now, Mike, I want to hear about what you've been working on, but first let's take a break to hear from a sponsor. All right. So now we'd like to talk to you about coffee and particularly the sponsor for this episode, Trade Coffee. Now, I drink coffee every single morning, and there's nothing worse than going to the cupboard and seeing that there's no coffee in it. So what I love about Trade is that it solves two problems. One, they send it right to me, so I can always make sure that I'm stocked up. I know how much coffee I use every month, so I can always make sure that I have Trade sending me awesome coffee. The really cool part, though, is that there's variability. They have partnered with more than 52 of the nation's best roasters, featuring 400 different types of coffee. You can take their personalization and taste type quiz and it'll match coffees that are perfect for your palate. I took the test and came up with the Seabright House Blend from Verve. It's fantastic. It's more on the dark roast kind of side, but I've already gone through a few bags of it. And I took the test and I was paired with the Santa Rosa Blend from Dune Coffee Roasters. Funny enough, Ben, they're based out of Santa Barbara, California. That's my hometown. Nice. So I took it, and I'm, as you guys know, I haven't been a longtime coffee drinker. I've started drinking it about two to three times a week. So I know almost nothing about it. So taking the quiz was actually really helpful for me. And I got one made by a company called PT's Coffee, the letter PT, Ad Astra Signature Blend. And I first got it around the holidays, and I served it when we had Thanksgiving at our house. And a bunch of family members commented that they really liked it. So it was one of the big gifts that I gave away this past year. So the reason why this company is great is that, one, it's roasted to order, it's direct trade, it's ethically sourced, and the pricing is fantastic. This is the best deal for coffee, this quality, anywhere. But for me, what it all comes down to is the consistency of always making sure that I'm well supplied with coffee. I don't have to get up and drive to the store first before I can have my morning cup combined with the variability that I get to try new things, but they're all within the things that I like. That lets me explore more, but still have the assurance that I'm going to be getting the type of morning experience that I care about. For a limited time, get 50% off plus free shipping when starting your subscription at Drink Trade. Dot com and use the promo code modern maker to get all these awesome discounts that's drinktrade.com promo code modern maker for 50% off plus free shipping drinktrade.com promo code modern maker link in the description okay we're back mike what you working on i'm working on the attic to home theater conversion and progress is moving along pretty quickly i should have it wrapped up by next episode what i've been working on since we've chatted last was all the flooring so i've gotten all the carpet in i've gotten all the trim in now i'm working on a diy wood floor that i'm cutting out of plywood pieces the long story short of it is i'm making a bunch of parallelograms that are about six inches on each side okay now picture three of those parallelograms all kind of placed together to where their seams line up and that creates a hexagon okay and then that hexagon repeats infinitely to create what I'm considering a seamless parquet floor. Gotcha. So I really love parquet floor. In mid-century modern homes, when they're restored or when they're not restored and they've just always been kept up nicely, they look amazing. A good parquet is killer. But what I dislike about them is that with parquet floor, it's a really cool pattern built into a, a grid of squares. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like wood tiles. 
So you get a really awesome pattern, but it's not seamless. It's very clearly on a grid. And what I wanted to try and do was have that kind of similar look, but make it seamless to where there's really no start and stop to it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm using plywood for the reason that wood expands and contracts based on humidity and things like that. And since I don't have all of the grain running running in a single direction, and since I don't have any sort of finger joint or overlap kind of dado rabbit joint that locks everything together, uh, I'm using plywood since it is stable and it won't contract or expand and make any kind of gaps between the boards. Have you already figured out how many total you're going to have to cut? Like how big of an area? No, that is not the type of thing I do. I just bought five sheets of plywood and I hope that that's enough. Um, (laughs) How big is the area? The area is not insane. If I had to take a guess, I'd say it's about 100 square feet, maybe 150 square feet. And so it's a really good opportunity to try something unique like this because it's not so large that it's this huge endeavor. It's kind of it's manageable. I am really excited for this project because I think it's an area that's neglected too much because it's in between its repetitive making to do a home improvement scale project. Right. And so often, I know so many woodworkers that are can do anything in their wood shop, but the minute it comes to laying a hardwood floor, they're like, oh, going to buy a completely off-the-shelf product and install it. Right. And so I hope that this is an opportunity to at least get the ball rolling for a lot of people. I've done some Pinterest searching. I've done some Google searching. And there's a couple people out there that have done – they haven't done this, but they've done kind of similar things, creating some sort of patterned floor. And I'll leave those linked in my video so that people can find those resources too. But I think this one is covering a lot of the missteps that other people did. So I've seen some people that have done similar things, but they've done it out of two by six, or I'm sorry, one by six, what you would call like common pine that you get at Home Depot. But the problem with that is it's way too soft to be using in any kind of high traffic area. Uh, Not to mention doing solid wood. Uh, kind of causes that expansion and contraction problem that I was talking about earlier. So hopefully with this, I kind of cover all the bases and this is sort of the the best one-stop solution for something like this. And what I really love about it is it only uses a table saw. So if you can really take the time to make sure everything on your saw is square and true, you only need one tool. You need that and then some way of like gluing or nailing it down. Very nice. Yeah. And Wait. aside from that, Oh, go ahead. Uh, for the plywood, you'd want a plywood with a pretty thick top veneer then. Right, exactly. And so I'm using maple veneer. I'm using just off the shelf of Home Depot. It has a decent veneer. It doesn't have an amazing veneer, mm-hmm. but it's sort of the concession that I'm making by not going to a specialty supplier. And yeah, are you, you are you leaving gaps on. in between them? Are you doing like a 16th inch gap so, or is it pretty much – they're pretty small pieces so they won't move too much. Exactly. So they really shouldn't move. And my plan is as I put each piece down, the two sides of the piece that are adjoining other pieces, I'm going to glue that seam. And then on the two sides where pieces will be added later, I'm going to toenail those into the OSB underneath. So there's going to be glue holding it on one side, nails holding it on another. It should be in there really, really tight, shouldn't really wiggle or move at all. And so no gaps. I'm keeping it super tight. And that's what I spent so long doing yesterday was making sure that everything on the table saw was square to where I could get it as tight of tolerances as possible. I did about eight different test groups of cuts Mm -hmm. until I finally got it all yeah, dialed in really nicely. And that's a cool opportunity to go into the video because this is the, the 
I don't know, the the weird part of working with job site equipment is I'm sure with your saw stop, Chris, mm-hmm. if you just set your miter gauge to 60 degrees or you use that Rockler table saw sled and you set it to 60 or 30 degrees, whatever you need to do to cut the pieces, it's just going to be true and it's going to be correct and it's going to work. But with me, I'm using a DeWalt job site saw. It's actually their FlexVolt saw. I got that from an Instagram thing I did a while back. Mm -hmm. And it's the saw that I have at my parents where I'm doing the attic conversion. And what I found is that the blade is not true to the table. So the blade is actually off about a degree, about 1.2 degrees from Mm -hmm. the table, which means that the miter slot that the miter gauge goes through is also not square to the blade because that is square to the table. And so I went ahead and bought an aftermarket miter gauge, one that has a little bit longer arm. It's got a little bit bigger of a reference surface, and I just imagined it would be a little bit more reliable than the stock one that came with the saw. And so it has positive stops at 15, 30, 60, 90 degrees, all the common angles. And what I found is that whenever I had it in that positive stop, my cuts were about a degree off because of the blade being wrong. And so it took me a lot of different test pieces until I finally realized that that was the problem. It just kept kind of going over my head that that kept being the issue. But it's an opportunity to really go into that in the video and show people like, hey, job site equipment is great, but a lot of times there's these small one, two degree changes or one to two degree things that when you're building a coffee table, you're building something really simple, it doesn't matter. But when you have a thousand little pieces of wood that all need to line up and all need to be consistent and have the same angle. This is the opportunity to show like, this is how you get as consistent possible results. Basically isolating each variable to check that each one is correct. Yeah. I think regardless of what equipment you have, like when you're working on something, you kind of want to dial it in anyway. That's why something that I've talked about in a couple of videos, like anytime that I'm making a coffee table, if it was a four legged coffee table, It's not much more material to have five or six legs, even though you're only going to use four of them, just for when you're setting up some of the weirder cuts to kind of use it as a test piece to make sure that you have it dialed in. Because, I mean, even if if everything is set up perfectly, you could, you know, there's always human error and those kind of things. So just having that extra material around that you can use to dial in is pretty important, I think. But it was funny. It was just like, trust nothing about the saw. So setting up the fence, measure, measure the blade on the front and the back in reference to the fence. And then with the miter slot, it's like, uh, I picked up one of those digital angle finder things. Yeah. One of those rulers or whatever that, that, that have a digital readout and use that to set the miter gauge. It's like, don't trust the positive stops. Don't trust the, don't trust anything. Just do it all yourself. Something I started doing, which I don't know why I didn't do this before. But say I'm like setting my fence to 20 inches or something that's like kind of far away and where you want to get it dialed in real good where you're like, okay, I'll use my tape measure instead. And so I was doing that and I was thinking, why do we always assume that we're holding the tape measure perfectly perpendicular to the blade where like if it's angled at all, it's going to throw that off. So I've been actually using one of my big woodpecker squares so that I put that up against the fence and then I know that the ruler part of it's coming out perfectly perpendicular And I use that to set it. That's a really good idea because that was a consideration that I had while I was doing all of this. After the fifth batch of pieces I cut and they ended up also having a little bit of a gap, that was one of the things I thought was, dang it, I'm not holding the tape measure true. And so that was one of the variables that I had to kind of eliminate. But that's a good solve to it. I like that. 
dialing things in is super important for woodworking. And I think it's also a point of demarcation that <laughs> where I which keeps me more on the DIY side of things. <laughs> I hate a lot of dialing, times me too. I yeah. hate dialing things in. I just want to pick up the tool and just get to work. Like I, I hate that process. Not so much because it's time consuming. I hate the uncertainty of it until you have to like kind of like test it, go a certain way, and then you can like batch out a bunch of stuff. Right. I don't do that many repetitive things. So it's funny. It's like the farther I get along the things, the less I find myself setting up or, or dialing things in and setting up really precise jigs. Even as simple for this like most recent sofa, I for I had to do these these angled cuts with a circular saw. I don't even clamp a straight edge anymore. I'm just like, I try to design it to the point where it doesn't need to, where the design is accommodating to like little 16th of an inches uh, variances between the pieces. You know, actually, okay. So that point actually kind of brings me into what I've been working on recently. If you guys don't mind that yeah, I jump into it. So I've been building a conference table that we're going to put oh. at the local fixture shop. Um, it's going to be like their new office space that they're kind of renovating. Is it going to be in the same space that we did our hundredth episode, that There's, big room? No, it's a smaller area. It's like their like kind of office area where they have probably oh, cool. four people or so that work in there. And right now they're okay, all great. just in sort of cubbies that are up against the wall. So he wanted to do like one big table that's in the center that they can all share. So we're building that right now. And when I was, it, it's very similar to the type that you see on um, Open Desk. That's the name of the website, right? Right, those kind of knock down all plywood, no yeah. no fasteners needed. Right, so it's it's screwed together, so you do need fasteners. But oh, okay. we designed it in a way where the legs are. I you could either make them on a CNC or you could make a hand make a template. And I actually did both ways for the video because I wanted to try it both ways. And so when I was making the template, I was doing basically what Ben was just talking about, where I was making a lot of the straight cuts using a circular saw and just making as much of the cut as I could with it. And then like if, you know, using jigsaw and sander to kind of refine the rest of it. And as I was coming up with it, I, I'm not nearly as good at that as you and Ben probably are of just like holding a straight uh, circular saw and hitting a straight line. So I was trying to use jigs or you know straight edges as much as i could but then there's like certain angled cuts that it's kind of hard to do it on and like you know it might be too far into like really clamp well so there were some times where i actually just had to do it and it came out pretty good but then i was as i was making it i was thinking there's really only like two cuts on the whole thing that have to be perpendicular to each other because the way that i made it i don't know if this will make sense but picture a whole leg assembly basically like cut in half vertically and that's what the okay. template is. So then you would use that template to make two pieces and then put them together. And now you have your whole leg assembly. So the only two crucial cuts are that cut where the two pieces mate up to each other. And those need to be perpendicular to what's going to be the top. So what I did was I just cut out a square on my table saw where those edges are already defined by the cut that I make on the table saw. And then everything that I'm doing with the circular saw is all basically just for aesthetics. So if I totally. do mess it up a little bit, it's really not going to matter that much. Right. That is the absolute secret to that whole thing is whether it's plywood or plate steel, it's 
for me, and I would have to imagine for you too, Ben, it's using that factory corner, like testing it with a good square, making sure that the factory edge or the factory corner of the plywood you bought is square, and then using that as the basis point for whatever important angles that you have or whatever important sides you have, and then you just build off from there, right? Right. Everything that I do design-wise is more built around how to improve success in the fabrication than it is trying to hit a certain aesthetic goal. It's pretty rare that I have a really strong, this is what I want it to look like thing. It's more that I think of what are the challenges in making something like this? What are the easy kind of setup ways to to be precise enough? And then what is the best aesthetic outcome from those easy techniques? So with like this this recent sofa, it was basically, okay, the previous sofa that I did had a flat seat. A flat seat is great because you can take a nap on it better. But for actual sitting, a 10 to 12% decline in the seat part is ideal or is is considered a little bit more traditionally comfortable. Mm -hmm. So for this project, when I was making my own legs, I was thinking of, well, how do I make, I have to make, uh, if I'm going to make my own alternative to to hairpin legs, how do I do that so that all four are keeping this thing level? Because that, that's the sort of fear is that oh, I'm going to have wobbly legs. Well, the first decision was, that well, let's just make two legs. Because so then I only have to make two things match instead of four things match. And then cutting a trapezoidal piece of plywood and then using the corners of that as references. And then I was right. thinking, wait, traditional hairpin legs, they bend the legs. But bending precisely is hard with with metal, at least for me and my tool setup. But cutting steel precisely to length with an angle grinder is easy for me with my setup. So that drove the next decision that I'll just messy weld all the legs meeting at this corner of this sheet of plywood. And then I'll just cut it no matter how it ends up. I'll just cut it precisely to that corner on both sets of legs. And then boom, perfectly level first time out. Yeah, I really like that part of the video, like when you were setting up the jig and you were just using the screws to basically hold them in place so that as you put other pieces in there, you can make them repeatable. It's just like very simple, but it wasn't, I think everybody's mind always goes to accuracy instead of repeatability. And that's just, and repeatability is really the more important thing. And I think that was a good example of it. I was going to ask when you were making those and then, so you, you made the first part using that jig and then you kind of just like used your eyes to even up the rest of the part where you were adding more bars on to just reinforce. Did you know that you were going to have to add those bars on as you were going in? Or did you think initially that like just those first two would be strong enough? Uh, No, I didn't think the first two would be strong enough. The, I knew I'd have to add some. Mm -hmm. So I added 20, 20% more than I thought would be strong enough. (laughs) Just a little insurance policy. Right. And then that's also a thing. It's like when when I first got started, I would have measured out the spots on that plate steel to anchor each one of those ones exactly. Mm-hmm. But right. then I, what I've learned over time is that, well, these these two legs are almost five feet apart. So you're never going to see I could be within right. half an inch and I'm probably more accurate. I'm probably about a quarter of an inch off in the placement just because I did it by eye. But you can't tell a quarter of an inch difference across five feet with things going at a lot of different angles. You can't. And it's also an opportunity to be creative. If you line everything out, make your marks before you even make one of them, you've already set yourself up for assembling a puzzle instead of right. making it in real time. And the other thing that I find when I, when I, do, when I play Battleship, 
Battleship is what I call when I say, okay, I arbitrarily say that this is going to be half an inch in from the sides and then six inches down on both pieces. Repeat that. But what I'm really doing is I'm just regularizing the numbers just so I can remember the numbers and repeat it. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't mean that's actually the best place to put it. And then what I've found is that often when I do it those ways, without knowing it, I end up kind of normalizing the pieces all lining up too much. And then when you take it at a 45, take a photo at a 45 degree angle, <laughs> there's too much overlap between all the pieces of steel. And it, it just looks like one thick piece instead of a bunch of little pieces. So this right. is actually the, 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 the function of being able to do it on the fly and just saying, no, this is where it looks best. And I always have to like quasi repeat that to the next side. Right. Well, it's interesting because what you were de describing, Chris, the way Ben, you know, on those legs specifically, got everything together, welded it all, and then kind of trimmed it to its final length. You do that all the time too, but you do that in your own way of if it's a plywood assembly, especially a lot of times you'll cut all your pieces and then before assembly, you'll trim everything to its final size, like on the table right. saw. Even though you're only cutting about a half of an inch off, like you built, you cut things to the rough size and then trim them down to what they need to be. Yeah, actually, a kind of a similar example to that would have been on the last project, or I guess, yeah, yeah, two projects ago, the um, the live edge cabinet thing. Yeah, for making those legs, it was where they're kind of like tapering in, and then there's a flat spot at the top where the apron joins to it. And I knew that there was no way that I was going to be able to cut it exactly how I wanted it, where there was going to be like a two inch flat spot. And then it was going to angle in exactly like the tools are just not dialed in enough to do that. So I was like, okay. well, why don't I just cut the whole thing like an inch longer than it needs to be? I'll cut my taper, my table, my taper, and I'll be within <laughs> an inch of where I want it to be. And then I'll just lop off whatever's extra on the top so that I'm left with a two inch flat spot. So basically just yeah. say, all right, the taper happened to end here. Now that's my mark, measure up two inches from there, and that's how tall it'll be. Yeah, and that's what's cool is that's what comes with experience. Granted, you can get better at cutting a straight line with a circular saw, or you can get better at making sure your jigsaw line is you know, a little bit more true, a little bit closer to what you would get with a bandsaw. But at the end of the day, I think it's those types of things where you get the wisdom to know, oh, I can just leave this piece a little long, trim it. Or I can weld all these pieces together at one point and then trim it. Or finding those little points that you know you can kind of fudge yeah. and still bring true. Right. That's, I think, what really comes with experience. And those are the fun moments, too. Because you realize you're just leapfrogging a huge headache that you would have sat through and toiled with in the past. Yeah, there's usually a, a practical use to overcome the fact that you're not a machine. Yeah, right. exactly. And this all sort of relates to why I say it's important to design with your hands, not just your, your brain. Is that I'll, I'll often meet people that feel like they're in a creative rut that they're, they're trying too hard to think of a new project before they make it. But they'll find themselves saying no to things that actually are good leads because they're like, oh, no, I could do this. I want to make, like, for example, what you're describing, Mike. Oh, I'm really, patterns are really hot right now. There's all these cool geometric patterns and any of these patterns would look amazing as floors and for what we do would do really well as a video. But they don't do it because they think of all these ways it could go wrong. So right. it's... The experimenting with the tools that you have to find that kind of technique where you're like, oh, this is good enough to pull this off. 
All right. Right. This opens up this design possibility that wasn't hard to think of. It's not hard to think of a diamond pattern and apply that to a hardwood floor. That's a simple idea. The trick is setting up the process so you feel confident in it. And that's right. the part where it's actually the thing that triggered this project going forward is your experimentation with process and setup, not, oh, my God, like I sat on the mountain and meditated for five hours and came up with this brilliant visual. <laughs> the visual is already right. there. The it's desert. kind of the gift through, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's those sorts of things that I think are often what are holding people back more than anything else. It's the sort of hand thinking. That's awesome. Now, I hear that we've got a listener question that needs answered. We do. But before that, let's take one more break. This episode is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators with more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. You'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. You can take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, and even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching those new goals. Absolutely. And my favorite Skillshare course I have ever taken is DIY Cinematography, Make Your Videos Look Like a Movie from Ryan Booth. It does a great job of lining out all of the concrete, quantifiable aspects of what makes footage look cinematic or professional. But it also goes through a lot of the philosophical, maybe the abstract, less concrete ideas that make footage look more artsy and creative. So if you're interested in stepping up your video game like I have been lately, this is a great resource. But the amazing thing is there's also a resource for every creative or business skill that you're interested in learning on Skillshare. So right now, Skillshare is offering Modern Maker podcast listeners two months of unlimited access to the over 25,000 classes that they have for free. To sign up, just go to Skillshare.com slash ModernMaker. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash ModernMaker, and you can start your two months for free right there. Again, go there. There's going to be a link in the description, and check it out and start learning. All right, back to the show. All right, so back to the question. This is from Instagram, from Kitch, and it says, well, if you see something cool on Pinterest and want to make it, do you have any reservations replicating it exactly? Like being sued or seeming unoriginal to your maker peers and audience. Is there a problem with having a channel that's, quote, saw something on Pinterest I like and here's me making it? I actually think that's a cool idea for a channel. Well, isn't that Threadbanger, like man versus pin or whatever? Wasn't that what that channel was built on? I'm not familiar with that, but I think there's a there's quite a few people that have embraced that that concept. Right. And Let's riff on it a little bit. I think as long as you're you're open about it and you're transparent about that's what you're doing, you're not saying like, I'm having all these ideas. I don't see any problem with it. That is the key. I think, well, I'll even step back a step farther and being, there's no answer to this question. It's really just what you feel comfortable with because it's all going to be opinions unless it's about being sued. But the being sued part, let's let's sort of table that from the beginning. You're not going to go to jail for this. You could be sued, but you're only going to be sued after you make a ton of money and if the other party can show damages. You don't you just get be so lucky. You don't just get sued because uh, somebody's upset. Right. They have to be able to show that you've hurt their business financially for intellectual property that they own. Uh, so that is possible. That could happen. Uh, it eventually will happen to someone in our in our space, but it isn't this like immediate 
clear cut thing. And just to bring a lawsuit is expensive in and of itself. So they have to be really sure that you made a ton of money and it was provable that it was at their expense. Mm -hmm. Now, the ethical thing I think is important. My, My first thing would be to an individual considering this would be don't sell yourself short. If you're doing this because you want to learn, fantastic. Learn from other people's things. If you're doing this because you think that you don't have unique ideas, you're wrong. You just haven't found them yet. And if you build in this as a as a crutch rather than as a learning opportunity, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. But if you're like, hey, I'm just getting started. I want some like projects that kind of have a an outcome I can aim for. And I'm going to document my process along the way. I think that's fantastic. But make sure you give yourself uh, you credit where appropriate. And, you know, as long as you're honest about it, I think it's fine. Yeah, I think that copying is one of the best ways to start for anybody. For me personally, when I started getting into furniture and just designing furniture and like learning SketchUp, which is what I did for the first year before I ever cut a piece of wood, as I've talked about before, I used to just find pieces of furniture that I liked and I would just like really inspect them in detail and model them in 3D in SketchUp. And by doing that, I think it created a lot of like what became sort of the aesthetic that I went or that I go to whenever I'm designing something now. So you, I, I would feel pretty confident that if anybody just took like 10 pieces that they really thought were cool and were really inspired by and built those 10 pieces that after doing that, they would have the ability to pull from those ideas and that knowledge that they've gained. They would learn things that like, you know, they would just have new ideas while they're actually building and kind of build up a bag of tricks or like a mental Rolodex of things that they can go to and come up with original ideas that are just influenced by those things. Right. Another thing to consider is what actually copying means. So if I go to the grocery store and I'm like, huh, there's a bag of marshmallows. All those are is like sugar with air in them and a certain elasticity. I'm going to copy it. Now, in my mind, copying those marshmallows would mean setting up a factory, sneaking into their marshmallow factory, you know, writing down all the machines they have, setting them up in the exact same order. Then I would be copying their marshmallows. But if I just take the idea and then figure out how to make it on my stovetop, that's a complete translation into a different tool set, a different environment with a different intent, a different scalability. And to me, that's not copying at all. Right. And that's actually one of the interesting things about Pinterest is that you're, for the most part, just seeing these end results and not really getting a whole lot of information about what went into it. So that's why actually making videos about it would be very interesting because you'd just be trying to achieve this end result, but having to completely re-engineer, reimagine how it's being done and doing it your own way, whether that's like a very DIY way or a very technical way, whatever, you know, happens to be a person's skill set it's going to be a different approach to it. Right. I think a lot of people will, when when I hear people throwing around the term, oh, this copied this, it's often, not always, it's often because they have a really shallow understanding of what they're they're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's also when people say, this all seems the same. And it's- We heard about that last week. Yeah, yeah, that was on our our (laughs) comment section. (laughs) It's often because there's a surface level of understanding and that's okay. Not everyone needs to be an expert of everything. There's tons of things uh, of genres of music or things like that that seem the same to me. But those are also areas where I wouldn't assert really strong opinions because I'm aware that 
my viewpoint of them being similar is probably coming from my lack of of caring or expertise. That's the major key, I think. What you touched on just a minute ago is, one, crediting. Crediting is important. But the idea of, hi, my name is X, Y, or Z. Today, I'm going to show you how to build this coffee table from West Elm, right? But I'm going to show you how to do it with simple DIY tools and get something that's like 95% as good. Mm -hmm. That's not copying. That's showing a solution for people that have a problem. Right. And as long as you're going into it with that approach, not saying, hey, what's up? My name is Steve. This is my 100% original design that I came up with and was not influenced by even though it looks the exact same as that West Elm. And by the way, West Elm stole yeah. it from me. Right. That's fronting. That is not okay. But if you basically do what I said a second ago, that is not only like thumbs up, that is like appreciated. You're doing people a service. Like you are really genuinely helping people that probably couldn't afford that West Elm piece of furniture or something along those lines. And then you're also getting introduced to proportion or good ratios to work with right. or standard heights, standard dimensions for things like what you were saying, Chris. So getting exposed to a lot of that base information, super valuable. So I'm, I'm a hundred percent for it. Not to mention like if you Google like forever 21 art theft or target, whatever major company that has a lot of employees and a lot of designers working for them and a lot of layers of accountability where things can get missed. A lot of these large companies have gotten caught either with like uh, lawsuits or at least kind of being exposed on social media of, you know, whether it's a t-shirt design or something like that, doing things that are what people are claiming to be like a ripoff or something that's really, really derivative. And so that sort of thing doesn't only go one way. And so if anybody's going to say doing a West Elm knockoff is not a good thing, it, it, that, that street goes both ways because it happens to artists with, right. with retailers all the time. And so we live in a world with a lot of influence. And as long as you're expressing where that influence is coming from or where you're getting that inspiration, I, th I think it's golden. I think it's, it's great. Honesty is good. It's funny. I was, I was reading an article where people were accusing Ariana Grande of like ripping off a song from a past songwriter and stuff when she had like, she had legally licensed it and paid the, paid the lady and oh, nice. collaborated with her. <laughs> they just assumed yeah. that it was theft. So no, theft does happen, right? Uh, but it's not as clear cut as, as it always seems from the surface. Yep. You know, you know, Carlton from Fresh Prince. Yeah. Um, well, thanks. So he tried to sue the makers of Fortnite <laughs> oh, the dance. for the dance, and oh, he wow. lost. Good. Losing respect for Carlton. And he, one of the reasons he lost was, uh, one, I think it would have been hard for him to show damages, and he was probably hoping for a settlement from an incredibly lucrative video game uh, creator, was uh, he couldn't really show damages. He couldn't show right. that he was making money off of that thing in a way and that Fortnite, you know, took away that. He was only sort of showing like it's I did something similar and now they're making money. Like I should have some of that money, which is yeah. kind of a little bit more on the gross entitlement side of things. Two, yeah. in interviews before, he acknowledged that that dance that he, that he assembled was from a bunch of other pre-existing dances. He didn't right. create it out of thin air. Now, that doesn't mean that creation can't be assemblage or some sort of collage of ready-made parts. That's definitely a valid means of, of creation. 
but it does mean that there's a lot of gray areas. And before we, there's, there's also a point of, of choice, right? And I think the choice goes both ways. It benefits us to choose to try to not take the easy road and, you know, set goals for ourselves that are as original or that are really testing the limits of our, of our abilities to, to explore, to act with curiosity and not just execute things that we already know the outcome for. But on the other side too, is also to always try to look a little bit deeper and uh, uh, understand that the subtle nuances that just because two things have a similar silhouette or the same lines, they might be made in completely different ways, which makes the process of that not at all uh, like each other. And I, I definitely get people sending me things all the time like, oh, these people are copying you. These people are copying you. And Unless someone's actually, you know, the, the only thing I'm really copywriting for the most part is the, the content itself. So when I see a Instagram account sort of reposting my videos without proper crediting, that bothers me a little bit. And I'll send them a message being like, hey, might want, might want to give me a shout out. And then if I look and I see they've done this like every single week, uh, I might use a little bit sterner language. And but that that is. That is a, in this case, what I think is different is like, I don't mind at all if somebody makes a version of mine because they're putting in their labor and their time to explore something I may have suggested in a, in a different way and often a way better way. But when someone's just copy and paste and then trying to build up a, a woodworking audience so they can sell t-shirts, I do find that gross. bothersome. Yeah. And I was actually, maybe something I want to bring up. I actually kind of want to figure out a way for our community to end that rather than complain about it. Cause again, my, one of my things is like, don't complain about it if you don't have a plan to fix it. So right. mass reporting. Well, I was thinking about creating a group of, of makers that, that have this happen to them often. And if we get about 50 of us together, where anytime one of us sees another one's content, we get at least 20 of us to all mass report on the same day. Right. We can start ending these these channels pretty systematically. That's weird because I was thinking of something similar not very long ago whenever there was a big mass reporting conversation thing happening on the Joe Rogan podcast. But that exact same thought was pretty much what I had as well. So I'm 100% down. If anybody else is down and this happens to them, hit us up at Modern Maker Podcasts and we will be sure to include you in that group that we create. And again, every time I message them, they always say the same thing. Oh, I didn't know. But I bet don't post if you don't know. And again, to the to the the asker of this this question, if you're looking at something on on Pinterest and you don't know how to credit it, maybe pick a different project. Right. But all that to say, man, that's what Pinterest is. That's what Google Images is. It's a collection of like resource material. There's to me. There's no difference between looking through a magazine and looking through a Pinterest feed, finding something that sparks a little bit of creativity and following that thought or following that thread. And so use it as a resource. Never be scared of where you're finding inspiration from. Only be scared of like not going down the rabbit hole and not exploring it because that's the only thing you have to miss out on is a good idea. And be humble too. realize that you didn't invent something that you're just part of an evolutionary <laughs> yeah. process and you're already standing on the shoulders of other people's improvements of things. I think Chris's yeah. crayon table is a great example of this. Chris, do you think you would have thought of that if it wasn't for all the river tables? No. I mean, it started off as basically like a parody 
of it. So something good did come out of River Tables. But Crayon Tables. As far as, as, like, it was new in that thing, but it's still part of an evolutionary trend that's part of the community. Yeah, 100%. Yes. And it, oh, and Chris. It, and the, the, that interconnectedness of design and exploration, I think, is important and is why you should always be humble. What were you going to say, Mike? I've got a question for you. All right. Shoot. When are you going to make something completely out of crayons? Like how I, I, I just a saw a video of I just saw a video of some guy that made an entire guitar out of big jawbreaker candy. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, I it's, it's doing really well. And so that made me think, like, when is Chris going to line up a bunch of colored pencils like vertically in a mold and then pour epoxy so he can use it like a sheet good? I actually did think this this wouldn't be exactly that. But I thought of making another crayon river table as now that it started off as a parody. Now I can kind of parody myself uh-huh. and do the whole thing where like I carve out the river and everything and then get all my crayons lined up in there so that I like the colors and then just pour the epoxy right there. Like don't even That's like unwrap them or melt them. Just like there's just <laughs> the whole crayons just laying in the river. I don't know. That might be going a little too far, but I'm I good. like it. I was about to say, follow that rabbit hole as far as it'll take you. Yeah. Just see what it, that's, if if you can't think of an idea, just think of a bunch of ideas, even if they're stupid. And eventually one of them, you'll be like, ah, that's not that stupid. Yeah, and maybe I'll one idea it. leads to the next. It always right. is. It's, it's a succession of ideas. It's never just one ah, moment. Yeah, don't, don't put that pressure on yourself to have to have a good idea necessarily. Just have an idea. Yeah, I would think of it more it as what do the crayons do easily that other things are hard to do? And it's, they, they melt and, and blend. And, and then fill in and blend the colors. And they're so, very vibrant. color. I think that's something else that people don't realize about just how vibrant the colors are until right, you right. see them in real life compared to a lot of other the things. The crayon on paper isn't very vibrant because it's no. kind of, unless the, the surface is perfectly smooth, it's always a little bit of white space within the, the line mark. Right, right. Oh, Chris, I've got something funny to tell you. Okay. My parents went uh-huh. to some restaurant that must have had crayons or they went to some event that had crayons and they brought me three packs of crayons because of yeah. your video they're like, get to work <laughs> they're like laughing like now you can make a chris video and i'm like very funny mother haha <laughs> she's like get to work seriously make a chris yeah, but video. seriously we need the, we need those crayon views <laughs> well, i think you could use it on something where you're not intentionally cutting the channel to fill in with color you could find yeah. a really porous material or like like think about like the split ends of like old barn wood or something like that that's been sitting outside and then it would be almost like a spider web of color through a whole bunch of things i've got Veining. A, i've got another really fun one here it is you throw crayons through a pencil sharpener so you have shavings mm-hmm. and then let those be suspended in epoxy ooh it's like confetti that actually would be yeah or, it look like or like those like kind of marbles that people make do, oh, yeah. Do your show Shugibon thing, but you really burn a solid piece of wood until it's like got the like cracks in the surface. Yeah. Like and that spider skin. webbing. Yeah. And then do the color all in because you're going to have to epoxy nice. over that burnt wood anyways. But yeah. if you did like a 16th or an eighth inch epoxy coat over that whole thing, but use like the metallic crayons. Yeah. Or now make a getting- silicone mold of a giant crayon melt a thousand crayons into that mold to make a gigantic blended color crayon man we're having ideas left and right here yeah this brainstorming is, this is a good this brainstorming is good. Sesh. Is a good sesh good sesh all right. all right guys well 
this is the point of the show where we talk about our current obsession. Mm-hmm. What have you been watching? What tools have you been exposed to? What Instagram account have you been following that you want to let the people know about? You know, I think now is the perfect time to jump on the NBA playoffs hey, for anybody not watching. Especially exactly. Now, first, I'm going to be honest. First round was a little boring, I would say, compared to first rounds in the past. We had, yeah. the, I know, Mike, you were the, uh, you you were on the receiving end of it, but the Dame shot to end that series. <laughs> Listen, that was, as much as I good. hated, as much as that moment really just hurt my insides and really twisted them up. <sighs> Stone cold, Damian Lillard, that shot to win the final game of the series was insanity. If you haven't seen that, Google it. Just search Damian Lillard, game winner, game five. Yeah, but now, so we're in the second round now, and we got a crazy matchup with Rockets and the Warriors that kind of feels like the finals. But it's been a while since the finals have actually felt as open as they feel this year, where you know you you could make a case for like four different teams that have a legit shot at winning. So yeah. that makes it a little bit East more exciting. In the East and the West. Yeah. That's, the, that's the awesome part, is it's not all gearing up towards who's going to play the Warriors or who's going to play the Cavs. It is open on each side, of, on each conference. Right. Yeah, yeah, you probably still skew towards the West, but there's definitely a lot more parity than there's been in the past. And that's I right. also think that basketball is a great sport for people who think that they don't like sports or don't want to like sports for whatever reason. Because oh, yeah. it's just so... Just like, okay, I'm not super into the circus or whatever, but if I went and watched trapeze artists, I would still be like, dang, how are they doing that? Like, it's just amazing to see people be able to perform at such a high physical level. I think the NBA has more of that than any other sport. Just like the the people seem, the players seem like super human in how athletic they are. I totally understand that. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with you. And it's constantly happening whereas like football you got to break between every play you know it's a little bit more involved and and constantly because basketball like everybody's played basketball whether it's just like you know a quick little pickup game or you shot baskets or whatever football is a lot more you know you need a lot of organization and 20 people and i don't know basketball is awesome man so you got any hot takes for playoffs since it's your obsession any big any big announcements or hot takes i'm gonna say uh Trailblazers are winning the whole thing. No, I was trying to, I'm trying to pick which team left is least likely to win the whole thing. And I'm, I'm ride or die with them. All right. I, I, uh, I think they are pretty low on baby. the list. Yeah. All right, Ben, what do you got this week? What are you obsessed with? You go. I haven't thought of anything yet. All right. The car, you go. That's what yeah, exactly. Ben is obsessed with you goes this week. This week I am obsessed with, sports also but not sports not a sport a sports streaming service espn plus espn plus is getting a lot of hate long story short the ufc signed a deal with espn plus one just to put on a lot of fights Mm -hmm. that are free to anybody that's signed up to that subscription service it's 4.99 a month and they're doing a fight card every weekend so in a month four fights one a of those being a card every weekend. Yes. One wow. of those being a pay-per-view. So there's a little controversy and I don't want to go into it because this isn't what this podcast is, but all of the pay-per-views now are being hosted through ESPN plus. So you don't order it through your cable provider anymore. You order it through the ESPN plus app or through the desktop. Now that's getting a little bit of heat, but I want to shout out everything other than that. 
this is a subscription service that is five dollars a month. Yeah, as you said, it's pretty cheap. And you're getting four fight cards, three of them for free, basically, or for a buck and a half a piece, two bucks. That is so amazing. And for anybody that's a fight fan into the UFC, MMA, if you're not already signed up to ESPN Plus, I would highly recommend it. There was a great card on Saturday, a lot of really great fights, and all of the ESPN Plus cards so far have been loaded up. They've been doing great matchups. They've had some really awesome fights on each card. And I think that's just because they really want to start it off with a bang. So they're really putting together really good matchups. And they're doing a good job a good job of spanning the lightweight guys all the way up to the heavyweights on each card so that people get exposed kind of to the whole sport and the whole kind of the difference really between like each weight division right. and the way each uh, each division fights and the way they move and and everything that goes into it. It's a lot of fun and it's cool seeing other announcers other than just Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier. You get to see Dominic Cruz who is incredibly smart and it's literally he is a walking encyclopedia. And so the whole time the fight's going on, he's breaking it down and analyzing it and giving practical, this is what this fighter should do to get out of this position uh, to advance to whatever position he needs to be in. And for anybody that's interested in the sport, everything the USC is doing on ESPN Plus right now is amazing. So check that out if you don't already. And if you're a UFC fan, this is a great opportunity to see a lot more fights for as you can get the whole year for the price of one pay-per-view. That's amazing. Right. Yeah, 60 That's bucks 36 fight cards. That's 36 cards. I think it's kind of interesting just from a media point of view because it seems like it's the first biggest sort of a la carding of cable, like Big branching time. off into instead of where you have to buy the whole package, just like, well, I really only like ESPN or whatever, so I'm just going to buy that, which yeah. seems to be the way that eventually – everything probably will be like it'll be funny that everything's going a la carte yeah like in 10 years from now it's probably going to be like espn plus will probably become espn in 10 years from now or less than 10 years but if you just flash forward i would make a bet that that will be their main offering yeah exactly so so yeah check it out if you don't i guess that's pretty much really all i have to say about it it's it's an awesome service and I'm, i'm really glad that they're doing it because that's, I think, the one thing the sport it has been held back in the past is it's been on Fox Sport, which is a cable network that's pretty low on the list. It's got like a weird number. It's like channel 300 something, whereas yeah. ESPN is 140. And so when people are looking at sports content, it's all right there. But now that one, they're getting the exposure of ESPN and getting the exposure from just the the analyst shows like right. now they there's a UFC First and an MMA and hour on ESPN they're getting a lot of real estate on ESPN's website like it's just a big exposure move for the UFC between getting away from so many pay-per-views and just getting exposed to this new just general sports fan audience rather than only fight fans right. I have my obsession let's hear it all right let's hear it my obsession has been making Facebook not suck for me. Ooh, good luck. Do that? Well, I feel like I've achieved it. Uh-oh. Would you just quit going on? <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it took some time of unfollowing people that I have met that I don't find positive, instructive, or interesting. Right. I don't need everyone to be positive, but you, if you're not 
exuding positivity, you better be saying something interesting and instructive. Because <laughs> I'm not interested in gratuitous negativity. I'm interested in constructive negativity. So I unfollowed a lot of the idiots and added uh, more design-related media sites that are good at crediting people. So design sites, and this is going to be my sort of shout out is Dezine, D-E-Z-E, or two E's and then an N, Dezine. Mm -hmm. They're okay on Instagram. They have a huge following, but they're fantastic on Facebook. Facebook, wow. they're great because you actually don't just see the image of what they're talking about. You immediately see the headline and the way they're talking about it. So I found some great articles on recycled plastics, with this, which is something I'm interested in. A ton of things on how to make heavy concrete forms movable through understanding the geometry and how you can rotate them on a corner. Uh, just a fantastic publication for design-related content that's a little bit more on the boutique side, which is great for people like us because we're going to translate some of those ideas way down the food chain into something that's more accessible and easy to sort of fabricate and produce. Yes, Mike? You solved Facebook in a way, and it's unfollowing all the trash. Because I remember back in the day when Instagram was being becoming popular, it was kind of like my, probably my junior year of high school. And it was because it was like a new list of people that you follow. So with Facebook, like every reset. acquaintance you have ever made in your life, you are friends with on Facebook. And that is the crux of Facebook is it's like, oh yeah, that guy Dave that I knew while I was in high school that we weren't even friends, but we just went to the same high school. We still are friends on Facebook. Yeah. And I am not to be crass. I could care less about what's happening in Dave's life because I haven't seen him in right. six years. So it's almost like every five, every 10 years, a new social media platform has to become popular just so that you can like For reset who you're from. Well, so basically, yeah, it's the purge. We should have exactly. a social media purge day. It takes time. You, but you get a clean slate. You, you That's what Instagram like was. It was, a, it was a clean slate for followers. And you don't have to do it all in one day. I would just find that if I spent 15 minutes every night scrolling down until I find something that I think is, oh, this person, I don't want, it's not that I don't want them in my life. I don't want them in my attention span. And then you don't have to, you can just mute them or block their sort of posts. You don't have to like oh, unfriend them. So you don't have to hurt their feelings and things like that. You just make, you just put the little, the nice little friendly mute button on them and keep nice. scrolling until you find something that's positive. And when you do find someone that creates original content, or I found a friend of mine shared a story about this guy, this engineer who just travels around uh, Africa. 3D printing prosthetics for people. Awesome. So if you see something like that, you're like, you know what? I like, I want people in my life that are sharing interesting things like this, like it. And then the, the algorithm's smart, you know? I like that, you, yeah. You can't beat the game, but reward the good, mute the bad. And over time, you will, you will get your feed into the shape that where it's actually serving you. Well, I like that. I mean, the, the big takeaway is like, don't complain about the bad if you don't contribute to the good. Right. And same thing with Twitter. The, the same sort of rules apply. Twitter I use more for news, but for finding great articles on design, where it might be about more the technology behind it or a particular breakthrough that's not just about what the end result looks like, Facebook offers an advantage that uh, from, a, from a synopsis point as you scroll that Pinterest and Instagram just don't. Awesome. 
and that's the same with Pinterest. I've I've had people complain to me about not loving Pinterest that much, and I and I tell them something similar. Basically, if you don't like your Pinterest feed, you're not curating really good boards because right. if you're doing that, what they're feeding to you should really pique your interest. But no, I like that a lot. I'm gonna have to give that a shot because right now my Instagram Explore page is all otters. Sea otters, river otters, any kind of domesticated otters. Mike likes a good otter. So I've got to find somewhere else to get design inspiration. So maybe that'll be Facebook these days. We'll find out. Oh, one other shout out. I like the Instagram account, round.animals. Nice. Are they all just pudgy? It's all just fat animals that are, (laughs) or animals that are so fluffy, but in a current round configuration. All right. That's a, that's a good one. And I want to give one more quick shout out, and it is to the digital T-bevel. That is what it's called, but it's just a digital angle kind of protractor. If you've okay. never gotten any kind of digital angle finder, really convenient, really nice to have when you need it. Even that though it's really out oh, of context ahead. to go back to a tool after round. I know. Well, we were just closing everything out. And I wanted to make sure that I shouted it's, it's this the thing shape out. Made him think of at, angles. Right. At the <laughs> end of <laughs> at the end of this complete How would I measure nonsense. a round animal? I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, you mean a 360 degree animal? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys very much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a lot of fun for me and I hope it was fun for you, Ben and Chris. If you are interested in a certified banger sticker, these are the rules. Go to the podcast app. Give us a review. Screenshot that review. Email it to modernmakerpodcast.com. Nope, I'm sorry. Email it to modernmakerpodcast at gmail.com. In that email, include your name and shipping information. And if you are one of the first hundred people, I will send you that certified banger sticker. We appreciate all the reviews. This is all just a ploy to get us higher in the search rankings on iTunes. I'm not afraid of admitting it, but it's also a great opportunity to have really cool stickers because Chris did a great job designing them. They're really great. So if you want that certified banger sticker, pick it up. Rules will be in the description. If you're not already, follow us at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Ueda, and at Four Eyes Furniture. We appreciate you guys for listening. Y'all are amazing. And we'll see you next time on the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. See you.